when I was starting to get ready for um, this um, service today, um, I, I get work on. I'm old-fashioned. I work on a piece of paper and I, and I write my notes. Um, the first thing I wrote on my piece of paper, the first I just start writing things, and it, there's no sort of logic or pattern to it. It's just everything I'm thinking about at the time as I'm reading through and preparing or planning for it, and then I can try and put some order to it. So hopefully you'll see some order to it. Um, the first thing I wrote down as we were starting into this chapter three. Based on chapters one and two, was the natural response to God, and that's after reading the first part of chapter three, or reading all of it, but focusing on chapter three, the natural response to God. So, why is it such a natural response from Habakkuk to God? Well, as we saw in chapter one, it it opens up the prophecy opens up with Habakkuk questioning God. There's iniquity all through the land. God, Lord, why are you not acting? And then the Lord answers him and says, in due time, Judah will be judged by the Babylonians. Now that wasn't at all what Habakkuk was wanting to hear. But that's what he got. The Lord wasn't inactive. The Lord was waiting for his time and he would act. So then Jeremiah, uh, sorry, Habakkuk says, why are you using a nation that's less godly or more ungodly to judge your people? And the response that came back to that was very interesting. But before the Lord responded, Habakkuk says this, and it opens chapter 2, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what the Lord will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Why are you doing this, Lord? Why are you going to use Babylon to judge Judah? I don't know, but I will wait. I will watch, I will listen, and I will respond after you judge me for my response. And then the Lord comes in and says, Babylon will be destroyed. I will use Babylon to judge Judah, but Babylon itself will be judged and destroyed. And then we had that passage of woe upon woe upon woe upon woe. And it wasn't leveled exclusively at Babylon. It could equally have been applied against the people of Judah, and it can equally be applied against the people today. So this is the dialogue that Habakkuk has had with God. And after this, we read at the end of chapter 2, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And that's the right attitude, isn't it? The Lord has explained to Habakkuk what he is going to do. He didn't need to, but he did. And Habakkuk is then completely humbled before God, as we can see as we read chapter 3. So Habakkuk speaks, the Lord responds. Habakkuk questions again, and the Lord responds. And Habakkuk prostrates himself before the Lord. And we pick this up in chapter 3. We're only going to go through verses 1 and 2 today. Um, and we can come and look at the other bits, uh, the verses at, at other times, God willing. But for today, 
we will focus on verses 1 and 2. Now this sermon, by the way, comes with a bonus feature today. You get a little homework task to think about as well. So, verses 1 and 2, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigayonah. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. This prophecy is estimated to have been about 15 or 20 years or so before the fall of Jerusalem. Just to put you into, put the the text into its historical context. So, what Jeremiah, not keep saying Jeremiah, sorry, uh, Habakkuk had been reading um, and hearing from God was 15 or 20 years away. So it's not far, wasn't a long time. He wouldn't have had to have waited too long for this to have happened. So today we're going to focus our thoughts uh, on verses 1 and 2, as I've said, and just to help us remember and get some context, there's four key words that I want to draw on today. Um, the first one is prayer. The second one is fear. This, I heard thy speech and was afraid. So we just take that to be fear. The third one is revive. And the fourth word that we will focus on today is mercy. So that will give you some structure to, to, to hang on to and hopefully help as we start to remember and appreciate what Habakkuk is praying for. So firstly, the first word then that I focused on was prayer. Chapter 3 opens up a prayer of Habakkuk. Gives himself the full title here so that people know it's not just his prayer. He is the prophet. So this is a prayer that the Lord has given for him to share. Upon Shigayonoth, you will hear a variety of opinions on what that actually means. So which probably means that it's best not to develop it too far. The one that I tend to think I like the most is this is an emotional expression. It could be completely wrong that. It could be an instrument. It could be a pattern of of, of, of prayer. But that tended to be the one that fitted best for me to express mostly. So we won't develop that point any further. But the point to make there is that he was prepared in his prayers. He had prepared to pray to the point where there was instruction on how to perform this prayer, perhaps. And it ends, if you look how the chapter or the prayer ends, to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. So, not only do we have a prayer and a structured prayer that Habakkuk has given, He's given instructions on how to sing a prayer. So when we sing, we should be singing prayerfully. So we need to make sure what we sing is suitable to be prayed. This prayer is the outworking of Habakkuk's previous dealings with God. He has spoken And God has responded to him. He spoke again and the Lord responded again. 
So he has been in communion, in fellowship with God. And then the natural response is to pour that forth in prayer, isn't it? That should be with us too. We should be desirous of communion with God. When we study the scriptures, does he speak to me as I read these pages? And then do we pour our hearts in prayer? Look how the prayer opens and closes. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. Opens the prayer, Lord God. Finishes the prayer, Lord God. What does that tell us the prayer is about? The Lord God. Everything in between is pointing to the Lord God. Again, the focus on the prayer is the Lord Almighty. Now, this is a shared prayer also. And by that I mean it has been recorded in Scripture for posterity. You hear, of, you, you will read, and they went and they prayed. But we don't hear the content of their prayers sometimes. Here we have the content of the prayer that Habakkuk offered. This was a prayer, firstly, for Habakkuk's benefit. Secondly, it was a, it was for the benefit of his people. And thirdly, it is clearly for our benefit. And hopefully we will benefit even tonight from reading part of this prayer. But the prayer was shared for that very reason. I have a, an interesting quote from John Calvin that I'll share with you now, which is a little bit lengthy, but it, it, it is helpful. There is no doubt but that the prophet dictated this form of prayer for his people before they were led away into exile, that they might always exercise themselves in the study of religion. We indeed know that God cannot be rightly and from the heart worshipped, but in faith. Hence, in order to confine the dispersed Israelites within due limits, so that they might not fall away from the true religion, the prophet here sets before them the materials of faith and stimulates them to prayer. And we know that our faith cannot be supported in a better way than by the exercise of prayer. found that to be very helpful. This prayer was given knowing that these people were going to go into exile. Hold on to this prayer. Keep the Lord God Almighty in your sights and pray this way. did mention there would be a little bit of homework as an exercise. It's very helpful to find ways to study the scriptures. And one of the ways is to use the scriptures and say, what have I read today and how can I make that a prayer? And you'll be amazed at how easy it is to find prayer items in any passage of scripture. If you can just stretch a little bit your, your understanding... Or, or, or your thoughts. But when you have a prayer already given to you, a good exercise to help you understand Habakkuk's prayer is to break it down. What did Habakkuk pray for? And then you can look and list some of the items. So the first task that I would challenge you all to do over the next few days or however, is to read that chapter on prayer and say, what did he pray for? And what can I pray for from that list myself?
We will touch on a few points as we go through, so that will give you a starter as well. But also, as I said, verse 2 opens up with the words, O Lord, and verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. There are a raft of attributes of God in this chapter. If anybody ever says, I want to know more about God, a good way to do that is to read and look for the characteristics of God. What do we know about God from this chapter? A very simple one there, just to take verse 6. He stood and measured the earth. How can he measure the earth? Because he made it. It reminds us that we have a creator God. There's two little tasks to help you then in your uh, studies. One, what does chapter 3 tell us about God? And two, what can we learn from this model of prayer. And that leads us into the next point, really, then, that it is a model of prayer. The Lord gave his disciples a model. When ye pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven. We read of the prayers of Moses in the Old Testament as well, don't we, and others. But here Habakkuk has this prayer laid out before us, and it is a model. It was given for his people before they went into exile. It is given for us. Now, the important thing to notice about this chapter, this prayer, is when Habakkuk started off, he was lamenting the state of the nation. There's iniquity at every turn. But the Lord said, I'm going to judge these people. But then Habakkuk says, yeah, but the Chaldeans are worse. That's not. That wasn't the point. The point was Judah was bad and needed to be judged. Now, Habakkuk accepts that because there is no attempt at, at all to look to himself, to look to his nation, to justify his actions, to justify their actions. Everything is about God. There is nothing here about Habakkuk or the people. It is God first, God second, God alone. And that is a good pattern for our prayers. God first, God second, God third. We should only ever fit in as we stand before God, as, as John Calvin said. You look at God and then you judge God as he stands, a man as he stands before God. So we see prayer. That is the first point. The natural response to God is to pray. And then we'll move into the detail, perhaps, of the prayer The second point that I want to look at is fear. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. And in part, it was this fear that drove him to prayer. This isn't sort of like a a paralyzing fear or, or or a dreaded fear. This is a reverential fear. It is a healthy fear. It is utter respect. Something which, for a large part, has been lost, I feel, um, in our modern time. I know society has become more casual, but everything seems to have become more casual. Our attitude towards God has become more casual. Habakkuk prayed because he had a fear of God, a healthy, reverential fear. And there are two parts to that fear. Firstly, 
I have heard thy speech. It, it's it's uh, in the, in the original. It's it's something along the lines. I have heard thy hearing. So I have heard that you've heard my prayer. So not only does God hear, but He responded to to Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is saying, "I heard that you've heard my prayer and responded." Similar in a sense, the 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 the, the, the compound term um, we use, Jehovah Jireh. It's often described as the Lord provides, but it technically means the Lord sees. And implicit in the seeing is that he will provide. So it is in this, the Lord has heard and responded to his uh, questioning. So he heard the Lord respond. He heard the very voice of God. God spoke with Habakkuk. Now, if God spoke directly to you or I, do you not think then we also would be afraid? We would not, would we not also have fear? You'd hope so. Remember how he spoke to Moses and said, take your shoes off because the place whereon you stand is holy ground. And also when we think of the three at the transfiguration, the things that Peter said, should we build tabernacles here? I that, take that to be, he was overwhelmed and fear, reverential fear. Here they heard, or he heard the speech of God. But then the second thing that would have given him a sense of fear, reverential fear for God, is the message that was spoken. Judah will go into captivity. That is a done deal. They will be taken by the Babylonians. Then, the Babylonians will be destroyed. And we've been looking at that in Daniel, haven't we, in the mornings. Um, and, and we see that uh, they were taken by the Medes and the Persians. God is in control. God will destroy. God will raise up. God is in control. The other thing, and and... Habakkuk lamented this in chapter 1, was the state of the nation. The state of his nation, the state of the nation of Babylon. But also, nations aren't sinful, are they? It's the individuals within those nations that are sinful. So his own people, his colleagues, his people round about him, were sinful. And their sins had been laid bare. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood. Woe to him that giveth his neighbour drink and putteth thy bottle to him. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, and to the dumb stone arise, it shall teach. The sins of the people had been laid bare. This would have put the fear, genuine fear of God, into this man. The message that was spoken was a message that showed that God is in control. And God is a righteous and just God. So his attitude forced him to prayer. And through his prayer, he showed his fear for God, his reverential fear. But he moves beyond that or prompted perhaps even by that to this next glorious statement. I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, 
make known. Revive. Revive thy work. Give life back into thy work. And we know the work that he's referring to here is his people, his church, as we would perhaps refer to it. But it is his people. Revive your people. These people that I've been lamenting in chapter 1, revive them. Revive them. Revive this nation. He sees the state of the nation. He sees its sins. And what can he do? He can call upon the Lord, revive your nation, revive your people. That's a complete change, isn't it, from chapter 1. This shows that Habakkuk has been listening as the Lord has been speaking. In the midst of the years. So then Habakkuk clearly has a sense of what God is going to do. Judah is going into captivity. We know it was going to be 70 years. Habakkuk obviously knew that there was going to be a period of time. In the midst of this, in the midst of this period of time, revive your church. And this is what this prayer is about. He is preparing them before they go. He's preparing the people. Cling to this. Cling to this prayer. Keep hold of the Lord God. And he's praying to God, revive, revive your people. In the midst of the years, make known. Not for our benefit, for your glory. We benefit, yes, but primarily do this for your glory. We, we were looking at Moses, weren't we, in, how, in Numbers earlier on. And Moses prayed and said, for your glory, Lord, don't let these people die in the wilderness because then the Egyptians will say you couldn't take them and the people will say you couldn't bring them into this land. For your glory, Lord, bring this people. And Moses had to petition for the people because they were so sinful. But the Lord said, my glory will fill the whole earth. The people journeyed. And eventually, not the original ones, save Joshua and Caleb, entered the promised land. But for his glory, in the midst of the years, make known. Make your glory shine. Make your glory known. So we've seen three of the four points today. We've considered this great prayer. We've considered the fear that Habakkuk had that drove him to this prayer. And we see the fear that drove him to call upon the Lord to revive his work for his glory. The last word that we're going to look at today is found at the end of verse 2. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. It's not a case of be merciful, Lord. It's a case of in wrath, remember mercy. In your anger, remember to be merciful. And that's similar to what Moses was saying. It's the same principle that Moses was saying. You're right to judge, but be merciful in your judgment. So what does wrath 
mean? It means in God's anger, his righteous anger. So why was he angry? Well, it's very clear, isn't it? Even, even Habakkuk was angry. The sin of the people. The sin of the people. So why would sin make God angry? It's because he is separate from sin, isn't it? He is holy. So when we look at this phrase in wrath, remember mercy, we are reminded of one of the attributes of God, is a starter for ten, that he is holy. So we already know about God that he is holy. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, what does mercy mean? It's one of those words that we use an awful lot and we explain it an awful lot. And it does us good to explain it an awful lot because it is a great word to hear and to remember. Mercy, simply put, means not receiving the punishment that we deserve. So Habakkuk is saying we deserve punishment but don't execute the full force of the law. Have mercy upon this people. Have mercy upon this people. So again, we have another attribute of God given to us. So we're building a a picture slowly here. He is holy. He is merciful. And this is the God to whom Habakkuk is praying. He is also saying that he is righteously angry with sin. And in particular, at this time, this nation and this group of people. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, this links very nicely to the previous point of revive thy work. Revive your work and be merciful. Bless the people and don't punish. So we're seeing a kind of both sides there, aren't we? Build up the people, but don't bring them down and punish them quite as we deserve. And that is a good prayer for us, isn't it? We should be praying that also, that in God's wrath, he will remember mercy. Because this island is is primed for God's wrath. And if we are quite honest amongst ourselves, our very hearts are primed for God's wrath. However, we do have that great blessing if we do indeed know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has taken away my sins. He has paid the price and met and satisfied the demands of a holy and righteous God. What a privilege, what a blessing that is. In wrath, remember mercy. So there's four key words then to help us remember this introduction to chapter 3 and to this great prayer. That it is, firstly, a prayer. Secondly, there was genuine fear in the heart of Habakkuk, a reverential, healthy fear. He prayed that the Lord would revive his work, his people, in the midst of their affliction. And he prayed for their mercy that they would not be punished as indeed they should have been. So here we see chapter 3 is the conclusion of our 
recorded interaction between God and Habakkuk. It starts with a questioning uh, man. He waits then upon God. I will stand upon my watch. I will wait and I will see how the Lord answers me and how I will respond. And here we have that response and it should challenge us all. He says, I will wait and see how the Lord shall answer me. And he clearly did. He clearly did wait and see. And then when he saw and heard, he responded as he should. Chapters 1 and 2, God spoke with him. Chapter 3, God speaks through him. This comes from within Habakkuk. And you can see and feel it just pour out from within, can't you? It reminded me as I was uh, reading through it, and thinking about it, how Mary prayed, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And I don't imagine that just being a quiet, I, I imagine that being an explosion of emotion and an outpouring. How are we, when we speak with God, do we have this same outpouring in prayer? Do we feel the closeness that Habakkuk felt here, that Mary felt in the New Testament, that others have felt throughout the pages of Scripture, that others have felt throughout the pages of history. How do we feel when we talk with God? Do we listen? Do we wait? Do we hear? Does God speak to us? Or have we turned away from him and he has turned away from us? Seek for him like the bride in the Song of Solomon. Where is my beloved? Where is he? And she seeks and she searches. And he shows himself to her. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. So, Habakkuk was praying to the almighty God. And that is a great challenge for us. Do we pray to God almighty? Can we pray to God almighty? Because the only people who can are those who are his children. If you are not yet trusting in Jesus Christ alone to take away your sins, remember the judgment that fell upon Judah and Babylon, how the Lord is in control, how the Lord will take people in his time and deal with them in his time and in his way. Tomorrow might be too late. Now is the appointed time. Seek the Lord whilst he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Amen.